Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Now, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Matthew 3, that's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 3. And um, kids, we are super excited that you're in here. Mom and dad, we're family today, okay? So nobody's, nobody's stressing out today. It's going to be great, all right? Um, now, our passage today is about the forerunner of Jesus, okay? We're talking about John the Baptist. We're not talking about the front runner, Jesus. We're talking about the forerunner. The forerunner was here to point to the front runner. Okay. And so we're talking about John the Baptist today and, and, and on a day like today where we're thinking probably in the, in the next week, we're thinking about preparing for the next year. We're thinking about, uh, maybe what's coming. Um, we need to remember the one who prepared the way for Jesus as we think about preparing the way into the new year. And my hope today is not only that we would think about preparing for the new year, but that we would think about the reality that we're not the front runner either. We're not the point of 2021. All our plans and goals and dreams and all, all that stuff that I think is appropriate to have, all that stuff is not the point. We're here, like John the Baptist, we're here to point to the point. Okay? And so my hope is that as we walk through this passage today, that that's what we'll leave here with. That we'll leave here with a passion to not be the point, but to point to the point. That's my hope for us today. And so I'm going to read uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and then I'll pray. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire." I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is at hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of gathering here today. I pray, Lord, that you would help us hear wonderful things from your word. We, we're, we're not, <laughs> Lord, we're here to hear from you. We're here to meet with you. We're, we're not just here because this is what we do on Sunday, Lord. We're here to meet with you. So, Lord, would you uh, meet with us today? Would, would you grant your power and presence in your word? Would you grant that we would hear from you today so that our lives might be more like Jesus? 
and that we would leave here with a, with a passion to, for our lives to point to Jesus in the way that John's did. We pray all this in Christ's name today. Amen. Now, again, this passage is about the forerunner. His name is John the Baptist. Now, when people think about John the Baptist, the first thing they think about is his look. Okay, we see that in verse 4. It says, Now John wore garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And when we think about John, that's usually the first thing we think about is kind of his look. Um, he wore Camel's hair, he ate locusts. That's kind of weird to us. Most of us didn't ask for that for Christmas or get locusts in our stockings, right? Um, but that was actually a, a pretty common way for people to dress in this day. Nomadic desert dwellers would wear camel's hair. Uh, they would wear these, uh, almost, these camel's hair coverings as they would go about. And locusts are still eaten in the Middle East and in Africa. So, that, so it, his, his look was not all that uncommon. It did kind of separate him from the religious people, but it connected him to the regular people. And that's who was coming out to hear him. Now, his look also communicated something because in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 1, Elijah wore a similar thing and he stood as a prophet against an evil ruler. And so when the Pharisees and Sadducees see him wearing these things, they immediately connect that to 2 Kings and Elijah. And then Matthew tells us in verse 3 that he's a prophet coming to prepare the way for the Lord. In verse 3, it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so John the Baptist comes as a forerunner. He's there to point to Jesus, who's the front runner. John understands his role. John's role and ministry is to point people to Jesus, to prepare the way for the Lord. And even what he wore did that. One writer said, even his clothes and what he ate preached. That's what John did. And it's important, again, for us to think about this because so often we think we're the point. We think our life is about us instead of our life being to point people to Jesus. And John prepares the way for Jesus with a message. Look at verse 2. His message is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, repent is a Bible word. It means to change. And it involves changing everything about our lives. It's a change of mind. Now, in the Bible, mind is not your thinking. Mind is everything about your internal life. It's your thinking, it's your feeling, it's your wanting. And so when we repent, when we have a change of mind, it doesn't just mean we, re we change what we think. It means we change what we think, we change what we feel, we change what we want. It's a 180 in all those things. It's a, it's a, you're going this way in what you think, feel, and want, and you turn to go this way in what you think, feel, and want. It also includes a change of action. It's not simply I change what I think, feel, and want. You also, there's also a change of life. There's a change of what I do. And so John comes preparing the way of the Lord, pointing people to Jesus, and the first part of his message is repent, change. 
And so what we need to do is we hear that message, we need to think, is what, I, is what I think, feel, and want consistent with God's word? Am I walking toward what God wants or am I walking away from what God wants? And if I'm walking away from what God wants, then what the Bible calls me to do is to repent in what I think, feel, and want and to repent in what I do so that I'm not walking away from what God wants for me, but I'm walking toward what God wants for me. That's the first part of John's sermon, his message, repent. The second part is, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this phrase is only used in the Gospel of Matthew. It's not used in Mark, Luke, or John. But it's connected to the phrase kingdom of God. And what Matthew is saying, Matthew is giving this announcement that there is a king who is coming. Now, we haven't seen anything in the Bible from Matthew 2, from when Jesus was a toddler, uh, seeing wise men, and then fleeing to Egypt, and then coming back. We haven't seen anything about his life, uh, except in Luke, we see him at the temple around age 11 or 12. But there's not much more about Jesus from those two things up until about 25 years later. Now, Jesus is about to go live. Jesus is about to come on the scene as the king who's bringing his kingdom. And John says, change your thinking, your, what you think, what you want, what you like, what, and even what you do. Repent because there's a new king coming. There's a kingdom coming. There's a king with a new kingdom. And we need to submit to him. So John proclaims this message. Repent. There's a new king coming. And in the passage, we see two types of responses to him. We see false repentance and we see true repentance. Okay? False repentance and true repentance. We see false repentance in verse 7 to 10. Look at that with me. It says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Now that's, that's a nice way to speak to someone. Can you imagine if you had company coming over for Christmas? You brood of snakes. You know, so that's win friends and influence people is what John's all about right there. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, For I tell you, God's able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We see false repentance, and we see false repentance from religious people. The regular people we're going to see true repentance from. But these religious people, they they do not repent when they hear John's message. Now, these are the religious of the religious people. These are the Pharisees and Sadducees. They would have known the story in 2 Kings. They would have known the prophecy in Isaiah. They would have known all about this. And and yet, they do not repent. That's really interesting. They are religious people, but they're on different sides of the spectrum. The Pharisees would have been very conservative, very traditional in their view. They had a high view of the Old Testament. Uh, they, they were very concerned about the purity of their lives. They had a lot of rules to follow. Now, they had ways to get around them, too, okay? Uh, they had a lot of rules, but they had ways to get around them. Um, and they were very popular with the common people because of their uh, presence in the synagogues. So they had power because of their popularity. 
Now, the Sadducees were uh, religious people, but they were on a more progressive side of the spectrum in how they practiced their religion. And, and uh, they had power too because of their connection to government. They were the ones who had connection to the Roman uh, occupation, and their power came from their connection. And what we find here is that they do not repent to, uh, when they hear John's message because they both have something to lose. The Pharisees have their, their power in their popularity to lose because the common people are listening to John. And the Sadducees have something to lose because if Rome finds out this person's announcing a new king and a new kingdom, then they're going to lose their power too. And what we find is that repentance always involves us losing something. When we repent, we always have to lose something. These these religious leaders are unwilling to do that. We also see that their repentance has no real life change. Look at verse 8. John says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, these people come out to see what John's saying, but they have no interest in really repenting. And John says, hey, bear fruit. In other words, it doesn't just involve a change of what you think, like, and want. It involves a change of your life. Bear fruit, he says, in keeping with repentance. And then they assume God owes them something, which is perhaps the most dangerous thing that we might do. Look at verse 9. It says, and do not presume to say to yourselves. John kind of understands how they're thinking. He knows what they're saying to themselves. He says, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God's able to raise these stones from these stones to raise up children for Abraham, they're thinking, hey, since we're Abra- since we belong to this Jewish people, we're fine. Now, hey, kids, I want you to listen to me for a minute. This would be the same as you thinking that because your parents are Christians, that you're a Christian. Just because your mom and dad or your or one of your parents follows Jesus does not necessarily mean that you follow Jesus. Now, you get some benefits of growing up in a home that loves and honors Jesus and teaches you the Bible and brings you uh, to church, but you need to know and understand that you have to admit your sin, and you have to surrender your life to Jesus, and you have to submit your life to Jesus as King. And just because your mom and dad has done that does not necessarily mean that you have done that. But here's the good news that Jesus didn't just die for your mom and dad. Jesus died for you so that if you will trust him, you can be saved. You can be forgiven of your sin and made right with Jesus. But it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And what it costs you is you have to have the humility to say, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things and I need Jesus to forgive me for those things. And it's going to cost you your perhaps what you want to do with your life. Maybe God gives you another path that you have to surrender to. But it's the only path. Surrendering to Jesus is the only path for your life that brings you eternal joy. John is, John is uh, trying to help these religious people understand just because you're a Jewish person does not mean that you're right with God. 
And I just want you to know, just because you grew up in your family doesn't mean that you're necessarily right with God. I had a friend that used to say it this way. People say, I grew up in a Christian home. He said, I grew up in a brick home. That doesn't make me a brick. And I just want to encourage you, if if you don't know Jesus today, to surrender to him today, today. And finally, here's what John says to them, that unless they repent, unless they truly repent, their false repentance is going to end in destruction. Look at verse 10. He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, again, it's easy for us to think about those religious people. I think Matthew wants us to think about ourselves here. Is our repentance false, or is our repentance true? And he's going to describe what true repentance looks like, starting in verse 5. It says, then all Jerusalem, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. We see here what real repentance looks like. These are not people with power, with something to lose. These are common people. And they, and they bring their lives out hearing this message of repentance, hearing this message of a new king and a new kingdom. And what they do is they Humbly confess their sin. That's what it says in verse 6. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. They're laying down their lives. They're confessing their sin. They're getting baptized. They're, They're receiving grace. Now, I want to be very clear about something. This baptism is symbolic, and it was symbolic of two things. It was symbolic of them being dirty and needing to be clean. When they were put under the water, the water was understood to wash away their uncleanliness. Now, what's interesting here is that Jews were not normally baptized. Gentiles were. Gentiles were baptized because they were ceremonially unclean. And as part of their cleansing, they would be baptized to make them clean as part of converting to the Jewish faith. Here, Jews are being baptized because what they're saying is, I'm unclean too. It doesn't matter my family. It doesn't matter my background. I need the grace of this king and his kingdom. And that's the second thing it points us to. When they confess their sin, they don't get wrath and judgment. They get grace. They get grace. And so this baptism looks like humbly submitting to the king and his kingdom, confessing sin. And when we confess our sin, we get grace. And so, as we think about preparing for a new year, as we think about preparing for whatever 2021 is going to bring us, okay, and none of us know, I think for some of us, we're looking at 2021 like a type of savior. Like 2021 is the savior that's going to save us from 2020. You know, there's not much different between 1159 on, on December 31st and 1201 on January 1st. It's a couple of minutes. But so, I mean, but there's this just unreal sense of optimism as we go into a new year. And it's cultural. Like, do, y'all, do y'all notice that? Like there's just this sense of everything's going to be made right because of a couple of seconds on a clock. 2021 is not our savior from 2020. Jesus is. And as we, as we think about preparing for a new year, are we preparing to submit to the king and his kingdom? Are we preparing to submit to the king and his kingdom? 
Now, that's a two-part question. Uh, as we prepare for a new year, I want, man, I want to encourage you to prepare for next year. I want to encourage you to get some time this week. Get, uh, get some time. Get alone with the Lord. Spend some time in his word. Spend some time praying. And think about, think about what God might do next year. I think for many of us, like we've got this pandemic fatigue, we've got pandemic paralysis where we just feel like I can't think ahead, I can't plan ahead, I can't, I can't look ahead because I don't know what's coming. We've never known what's coming. And yet we have the blessing of potentially a new year. We've got as much of a new year coming as God would grant us to have. And so we need to think about how are we going to invest our life into whatever time we are given for the glory of God? How are we going to use our life to point people to Jesus? Not to point people to ourselves, but to point people to him because we're not the point. We're here to point people to the point. And so how are we going to spend our year, however long of it we have, pointing people to him? And so... Get some time that's quiet. Spend some time in God's word. Spend some time in prayer. Think backward. Think, what, what do I have to celebrate from this year? And there are things to celebrate. What are some things that I can, uh, what, what did I learn? What needs to change about my life? And then think about next year. What's coming for me? What's coming for my family? What's coming in my job? What's coming next year that I'm looking forward to? And then what do I want? What do I, what do I hope and dream as, I, as I'm praying and submitting my life to the Lord? What do I hope and dream about? And then as you write that out and think that through, the last step is to bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't know if these are your plans or mine, but I want to submit them to you because you're the king I'm your servant, and I want to submit my life to you so that I can point people to you. And as we prepare for what's coming in the new year, we remember that we're not the point. We're not the king. And so the last, the the most important step in looking ahead has to be examining our heart. Lord Jesus, where in my heart do I think I'm the point? Where in my heart do I think I'm the, the, the most important part of the story? And then, Lord Jesus, would you give me grace to repent there? Would you give me grace to change how I think and feel and want there? Would you give me grace to change how I live there? Wherever that is that I think I'm the point or I think I'm the most important part of the story, would you give me grace to change? And on those days when I forget, and I start living like I'm the point. And on those days I forget, and I start living like I'm the king of my little kingdom. And I start counting all the things I would have to lose to repent. On those days, I need to remember that Jesus died. Jesus died to forgive me for those things. Jesus died to give me grace for those things. And he didn't just die. He was buried, and he rose victorious over sin and the grave so that he could have victory over our worst enemy, sin and death. And then if I trust him, if I repent and submit my life to the king and his kingdom, I can live. 
I can live with the goal and hope of pointing people to him, pointing people to Jesus, so that I wouldn't be living as if I'm the point, but I would live as if he is. My prayer for us as we move into 2021 is that God would make us a people who are pointing people to Jesus with every part of our lives for his glory and his namesake. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you, privilege of following you, privilege of submitting our lives to you. And Lord, for all the ways that we fall short of that aspiration, Lord, we we are so grateful for your grace and your love. And so, Lord, as we think about the coming year and the, uh, the opportunities we'll have, Lord, I do pray that we would submit those to you and that we would follow you with courage and excitement for what you have for us and with a resolve to live our lives to point people to you. Would you do that by your grace and for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.